Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Here's where I want to start. I have just a couple of geopolitical things that I want to bring up, and one particular subject here right off the top that I don't think is getting a whole lot of attention, and I think it's rather interesting. Uh, and it has to do with the writer's strike in Hollywood. Isn't this interesting? We have plenty of things occurring, of course, throughout our nation and throughout the world. And right now, there are no writers in Hollywood on the job, which means all of those professions and all of those television shows are off the air. And they're just airing reruns or airing whatever the hell it is that they're airing. I find this to be very interesting timing. This writer's strike, again, usually over money, allegedly, started on May 2nd, and it continues. And here we are again toward the end of June, and it's still going on, and people don't seem to care. People really aren't that interested. But you have an entire propaganda apparatus completely disengaged from everything that's taking place right now. And I'll tell you something, it makes you wonder whether or not, and I'm going to go out on a limb here just to theorize a little, but it makes you wonder whether or not some white hats got to some people within the Writers Guild of America or within the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers and essentially showed them what they've been doing and said, we know what you've been doing, you're going to go on a strike. Everybody will know why. We'll say it's about money because that's what strikes are typically about. But we also know that during this time, of course, the entire Pizzagate and child pedophilia and child trafficking thing continues to blow up. More and more eyes are on that on a day-in and day-out basis and a week-in and week-out basis. And we don't have the, again, the, the, the giant propaganda foundation that exists with late night television, Saturday Night Live, all of that stuff that, again, the most staunch sheep continue to watch and listen to to gain their news access or their news information so they think. Again, taking down Hollywood has got to be one of the easiest things to do theoretically because you have them dead to rights regarding endless crimes. I just find this writer's strike timing to be remarkably interesting. Again, it's continuing to happen, and it seems like the vast majority of America doesn't even care. They just aren't interested. They don't care. It makes you wonder again how many people still watch television. I hope it's not many. But again, with all of the different streaming services that are out there for the brainwashed and all of the different things that they tune into and watch and pay attention to, you know, who, who needs basic cable? Who needs these writers and who needs these shows and certainly these late night propaganda shows? I mean, I think all of this time has proven that they don't need to exist, that they are useless. Because every single time that one of these takes place, you have to assume that less people are going back to watch them once they return. Again, look at the product that they offer. The product they offer sucks. I mean, it hasn't, it's just not good. And it's it's just staunch lies over and over and over again. I can't help but think of Stephen Colbert and the dancing syringes on his show. You know, get your COVID shot, get your COVID shot, all that nonsense. It doesn't help anybody. All it does is get people killed, and all it does is hurt people. But they're off of the stage now. 
And yes, I'm certain that a lot of that is also motivated. If again, it's not just white hats, but it's actually motivated by a lack of participation by the American public, that they aren't watching anymore. They're not tuning in anymore. And as a result of all of that, that's backed up on the amount of money that writers were making before and what producers were making before and could actually produce the kind of cash that the writers are interested in making and interested in having. And they can't produce that cash anymore because they don't have it because we're not watching anymore. It all backs up on itself like a like a just a terrible, terrible toilet. And that's exactly, I think, what's going on here. So I just wanted to make some comments about that here off the top. I think it's interesting. I, th- I, I continue to hope that it remains in place. The longer, the better. Hell, if they don't go back for an entire year plus, that would be great. That would be absolutely fantastic because all it would do is force the American public to pay attention to things that are more important. That's all it would do. Again, you you pull away any of these new shows or new episodes that, again, the largest sheep are still paying attention to. I think you have a chance of even waking up some of them to the real world because they realize that they can live without it. Just like sports. I mean, the pride. The Pride Month, the Pedophilia Month, and all of that nonsense, I think it continues to ruin people when it comes to their interest in sports. It ruins sports, certainly, but for the individuals who are still brainwashed in watching sports and attending these games and spending copious amounts of money wasting their time and energy on something that does not matter, the bread and circus, I think it's ruining their entire business. And the business can't exist as long as there's a giant lack of participation and an increased lack of participation. I think these are good things. These are very good things. So I just wanted to mention that off the top because, again, that's something that's kind of been bouncing around my head. And I, again, remember it occurring when it did. And I remember thinking, great, now keep that strike in place as long as humanly possible because it will wake more people up. It'll free the mind of numerous people. I think I think that's excellent. Um, wanted to mention this too. Wednesday morning, 9 a.m., Durham is testifying, I believe, in front of Jim Jordan's committee, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, that should be interesting. Because again, I can't help but think of James Comey when he was on all those Sunday shows and Sunday morning shows, and he was talking again about how nothing in the Durham report was new, that they already knew it, that the uh, inspector general already figured out that there were mistakes at the FBI and blah, blah, blah. What I want to hear Durham say, and I'm going to watch it, I'm going to do my best to watch the entire thing as it's happening, but what I want to hear John Durham talk about is James Comey specifically. Because James Comey's name is throughout that Durham report constantly. And you heard me bring that up in a previous episode. So. I want the I want the spotlight to be on Hillary Clinton and James Comey more specifically. Yes, the the lower level players like the Peter Strucks, even though again they're equal traitors in this entire thing, and this giant scheme, and they're just chalking it up to FBI mistakes rather than an intentional lie, in order to again engage in treason and sedition against Donald Trump, but. I want him to drop names and give specific examples of what these people were doing so that the public can hear it. I think that the audio clips 
that are going to come from this testimony are going to be astounding. I really do. I know they'll be all over Telegram, all over Gab, excuse me. <clears throat> and I think that eventually uh, th- this is just going to continue to blow up in, in the bad guys' faces. And again, this is another very good thing. So this is the slow, controlled dripping of information that uh, that's just going to back up on them and and be remarkable, I think. So don't let the people like James Comey downplay their crimes. They should hang for what they've done, and there's no way around that. So there you go. Okay. Here's, a, here's the next thing. I'm going to dive right into education, and I've got a number of things here, including some audio from the local school board meeting here regarding House Bill 33, with, which just passed the Senate. Now, I'm not going to get into that right now. I'm going to save that for a little later because I have just a couple other things here I want to read through. But the House Bill 33 thing, again, it's a local Ohio issue, but this is something, again, that stretches across much of the United States because it's just a constant pattern of something that we are seeing. And, and there's a political trick in this, which I've mentioned in previous episodes. This bill doesn't work out well for anybody, theoretically. I mean, it's, it, it, it carpet bombs all sides of the political landscape. The right thinks that it's great because it gives more freedom to parents, so to speak, on knowing what's in the curriculum, of course, and then having more money uh, put back toward them, I should say, regarding vouchers and private schools and pulling, pulling the money away from the public school apparatus, which, of course, is what the left hates. And then, of course, it has a lot to do with the anti-gay stuff and, and keeping that stuff out of the classroom as much as possible, allegedly. But as I was going through the bill, which is like 9,000 pages long, uh, I'm just doing some word searches to bounce around. There's a lot of crap in it, too. And a lot of it has to do with resettling Eastern Europeans in the United States. You can't make this up. So again, a House bill like this is being passed off as being a parental school choice, uh, school-related bill. There's way more in it than that, and it's far worse, again, than I think either side could possibly imagine. But I want to play audio from a local school board member who is just about as far left as you could possibly get, and it's her brief description of, of what's taken place with it, and ultimately how, when it, when it gets signed, and it will, money is going to be taken out of the public school apparatus. And they're, I mean, they're just going to feel the pinch. More and more public schools in the state of Ohio are going to become insolvent. And it's fantastic. I love it. So I'll get into that a little bit later. I wanted to mention this first, though. I put this out on Gab last week. I thought this was rather interesting. And this is an old article from 1992. And it's, again, within the National Library of Medicine. But here's the title of it, and I want to read the abstract because I think this summarizes the American K-12 school environment right down to to a T when it comes to where the predators are and where the prey is. The title of this research article, two authors, uh, Friend and Watson, it's titled The Proportions of Heterosexual and Homosexual Pedophiles Among Sex Offenders Against Children. An exploratory study. Again, this is from the spring of 1992 in the Journal of Sex and Marital Something. 
Uh, let me see here. Okay. It says the following. Here's the abstract. Previous investigations have indicated that the ratio of sex offenders against female children versus offenders against male children is approximately 2 to 1, while the ratio of genophiles to androphiles among the general population is approximately 20 to 1. The present study investigated whether the etiology of preferred partner sex among pedophiles is related to the etiology of preferred partner sex among males preferring adult partners. Using phallometric test sensitivities to circulate the proportion of true pedophiles among various groups of sex offenders against children, and taking into consideration previously reported mean numbers of victims per offender group, the ratio of heterosexual to homosexual pedophiles was calculated to be approximately 11 to 1. This suggests that the resulting proportion of true pedophiles among persons with a homosexual erotic development is greater than that in persons who develop heterosexually. Excuse me. It says this, of course, would not indicate that androphilic males have a greater propensity to offend against children. 11 to 1, ladies and gentlemen, that homosexual pedophiles and homosexuals tend to be pedophiles in particular toward children at a 11 to 1 ratio as compared to heterosexuals. You see why they're pushing the Pride Month stuff within schools? This is what they're trying to normalize. Here's your science right here. This is it. Again, these authors have a number of articles on this particular subject. Let me read just a few more here. Again, these are just the titles of some of the other articles. Does sexual abuse in childhood cause pedophilia? An exploratory study. That's one of their studies. Here's another one. Pedophilia and heterosexuality versus homosexuality. Here's another one, erotic gender differentiation in pedophilia. Here's another one, risk factors for the perpe- uh, perpetuation rather, of child sexual abuse, a review of meta-analysis. It continues. These authors have, have written and been referenced in numerous studies regarding sexual abuse, in particular toward children, at the, he- at the hands rather, of homosexuals. This is incredibly pervasive throughout the American K-12 and even overseas K-12 education system. There's no doubt about it. And now they've dedicated an entire month, which is really, theoretically, the end of the school year for the vast majority of American K-12 school systems. The timing couldn't be more on purpose so that the end of school years now These children are bombarded with these kinds of messages. And I know that there's a story going around. I saw this a few days ago, actually, kind of before it hit the Gateway Pundit, uh, because it was bouncing around some other boards. But again, it, it was audio footage or audio, yeah, an audio file, clearly a recording that was taken by someone, probably the student, a female student in a foreign country. Uh, speaking English, I believe it was in England, if I'm not mistaken, I could have that wrong, but they were speaking with their school teacher, and their school teacher, again, was pushing all of this degeneracy and trying to normalize particular students identifying as a cat 
or some student identifying as a cat and how this is normal. And if they want to identify that with that, then everybody needs to be tolerant with it and accepting with that kind of behavior. The female student was having none of it. She was having none of it and, and, and going verbally back and forth with the teacher again saying, why is it that I should accept this kind of behavior? Why is it that I'm the individual who knows that this is ridiculous and you're trying to normalize it on their behalf as they're trying to normalize it when really they're just mentally ill? Why is it that I and everybody else just have to have to deal with this? You know, the old cat litter boxes in the classrooms. Ladies and gentlemen, it's a mental disorder. It's a mental disorder. And the mentally ill are more likely to take advantage of countless people and then be taken advantage of, or vice versa. This is basic human behavior. This is the way that it works. The individuals, again, who have no idea that they're being used will continue to be used. And then there will be individuals around them who have been used and are mentally ill and have no idea what's really going on. And then those individuals will again normalize the insanity because they themselves are insane. This is not the environment for a healthy-minded individual. It, it does not matter where they go to school or where they live. Which leads me to this story, actually, because this right here is perfect. This is exactly, this is exactly what happens when a person wakes up. This came from Zero Hedge, and it's titled, School Principal Quits Job to homeschool her three kids on a 10-acre homestead. Quote, I wanted to raise thinkers. Now, I want to ask people this question before I read this article. Again, many of you have children, I assume. Some probably not. I do not. But I observe children, and I've observed their behavior again over the course of my career when I, when I taught school, over, over the course of that nine, ten years my niece and nephew as well. And, and, and the question you have to ask yourself is, is, do you think these these kids are thinkers? Do you think that the younger generation are thinkers these days? Are they really being put in positions to critically think about particular things? Or are they being put in positions where they are just asked to do things? Because there is a difference. Again, we, we, we've heard all the phrases and all the sayings regarding teachers. Those who can't do teach. Okay, there, there's that one, which is which is hilarious and and certainly true to a great regard. However, I would go so far as to say those who attend school don't think. And again, this is a mother and a former school principal in this article who said, "I've had enough. I've had enough." So let me get into this. It says, a former school principal who grew frustrated with the school system quit her job and instead chose to homeschool their three kids on a 10-acre uh, homestead. Merging her children's learning with their land and home, she has created an immersive real-world educational experience based on her kids' unique needs. Mandy Davis, 37, lives in Central Oregon with her husband, Josh, 38 and their children Emma, 11, Sierra, 9, and Cruz, 1. For Mandy, who was adopted from Seoul, South Korea, and who grew up in Nebraska, her own public school experience was not all roses, quote-unquote, neither was Texas native Josh's, 
since he moved often as a child and suffered from huge learning gaps as he moved between state education systems. Wanting to be a positive change and advocate for all students, Mandy got into the education field right after college. However, after struggling with having little control over what was so passionate about, of what she was so passionate about, Mandy, who has a master's in education and instructional design, has worked in both public and private schools, felt called to take full control of her children's education. Quote, schools today are tough, she told the Epoch Times. I couldn't be the change I wanted to be in our school system, but more so, I couldn't leave my children in it to suffer. See, this is perfect. This is perfect. That alone has exposed everything that I've brought up on this show, and she's 100% dead right. She's late to the party, which is fine. You're always welcome to the party. Doesn't matter how late you want to be and how late you are. But she's awake to this now because what she realized when she was an administrator, and she just said it, is that when you're an administrator, you're not administering anything that you know to be right because you're not allowed to. When you're an administrator, you have to do what the higher-ups tell you to do. And then that just filters right on down into the lap of a classroom teacher. And ultimately, everybody, whether they know it or not, is the victim of everything that is taking place within that environment. It is full-blown brainwashing. Pulling everybody in that environment further and further away from God and further and further away from thinking on their own, and behaving rationally and, again, thinking and critically thinking about a variety of issues. Again, how many, I'm going to pose the question again, how many youth do you know are paying attention to real-world things that are taking place right now? We all know that there's no more important time to be alive than right now, but you, you know how many people have no idea that that's true. Because they're still brainwashed. They're still stuck in the matrix. This right here is a perfect example of a person who came to her senses, again, a little late to the party, but that's fine, came to her senses and realized that she doesn't want her children and the husband doesn't want their children to be the product of the same brainwashing and frustration that they were a part of. That's ending the cycle of abuse. That's an excellent thing. They continued here. It says progress, not perfection. Mandy cited teacher shortages and unfit applicants, a lack of child-led learning, wasted time, outdated curriculums, political agenda curriculum, lack of autonomy of learning, and a rise of problematic student behavior as major chronic issues in the system. She said schools are a tricky beast, adding that as a parent and educator, there is very little control. Quote, I remember as an educator, wanting more control over how I was teaching curriculum, she said. But then I would have to have it approved by my administration and the school, the district, the state, and ultimately the answer was always no. Education and educational change are complex outside of the fault of the singular group, but multifaceted. This makes change difficult and slow. Not only, not, not only difficult and slow, it makes it impossible. It is quite literally impossible. If you have a very common sense approach, your common sense approach will not fly. I've told this story before. I once worked with a, with a math teacher, uh, a very nice guy. I liked him. We always got along. 
old school dude, lived on a ranch, uh, had cows, horses, the whole thing. He he was a seventh grade math teacher, and this guy was down to the basics. He was he was just all about the basics. He kept telling me all the time, Sean, we just got to get back to the basics on math. He goes, I know you used to teach math. He goes, I've taught it my whole career. We got to get back to the basics. He goes, these books that the district is selecting for us to use for these students are impossible. He said, give me a seventh grade math book from 1990, from 1985, from 1980. He said, those are the ones that work the best. Math hasn't changed. Why, why is it that we're constantly changing, changing math? And I remember, again, that being a, a large part of my wake-up process because I thought it's, it's purposeful deception. They're purposefully deceiving not just the child, but the teachers as well into believing that the teacher has had it wrong for X amount of years. And now they just have to do what's new because it's new and because that's the latest thing. It's beyond problematic. And frankly, it, it drives a drill right through the brain of a logical thinking person to where they start to question their own reality. And again, it causes a lot of people to snap within the education business because they're saying this is absolutely nuts. On one hand, you have common sense, and on the other, you have complete and utter insanity. So why is it that we're being pushed in that direction and not, and not the previous direction? They have no control. That's the ultimate point. They continued here. They said, thus, after a discussion with her husband and daughters, she left her job in June of 2022 as a principal of her kids' private Christian school in Oregon and turned to homeschooling for answers. That should tell you something, too. She was the principal of a private Christian school. They are not free from the indoctrination and nonsense that gets taught in the public school system. They're, they're just different fingers on the same hand. It continues, it says, the transition to homeschooling came in August of 2022, and this made the family believe that they could finally chase their slow lifestyle dreams. I wanted my children to not sit at a desk for seven plus hours each day, Mandy said. I wanted to be able to provide my children with a life of enriching learning. I wanted my children to focus on progress and not perfection. I wanted to raise thinkers and leaders, not followers and workers. You see what I mean? Followers and workers. That's what the system is providing. That's what the system is pumping out. It's not pumping out individuality. It's not pumping out thinking. These individuals, again, coming out of these systems will never find themselves. They will quite literally, many of them, not all, but many of them will live an entire life never knowing who they are never knowing what they could be. It's depressing. But this is an example of a parent who has, who's had enough and recognizes that the lives of their children are the most important thing. And again, you can't lead your children in a positive direction if you yourself don't know what that direction is because you've been victimized by your, yourself and haven't woken up to what's actually taking place and how you yourself have been treated. But yeah, followers and workers, Jesus. I mean, it doesn't get any more communistic than that. 
It says now, new to the homeschooling journey since she had already tried it in their daughter's early years and for two years during the pandemic, quote unquote, Mandy felt that this time that they had made, they needed to make a change, and her husband and children transitioned much more easily than she did. She had to unschool herself and consciously work to avoid mirroring a typical classroom environment. Yes. Yes. That's it. This is a woman who is waking up in leaps and bounds. This is awesome. What a wonderful family. It continues. It says, uh, today, Mandy and her kids school from anywhere between 90 minutes to four hours a day to meet their weekly goals. The rest of the day is led by what Mandy calls home culture. She has removed timetables in favor of routines and has placed the focus on communal living and her children's unique strengths and interests. Yes. This is exactly what you're supposed to do. This is exactly what existed before the public school system. This this was it. Again, the one-room schoolhouse didn't even meet for seven hours a day. They would show up a few hours, hit them with the subjects, go home. They would go farm, work on the house, play in the yard, go help out a parent. This is what they would do. This is the way forward right here, ladies and gentlemen. This is it. It says, quote, One of the most popular questions I receive is, What is your daily homeschool schedule? Answer, We don't have one, Mandy said. <laughs> yes. Yes. This is great. This is great. Can I be in this family? No offense, but I mean like, wow, this is great. This is great. This warms my heart. Quote, in our home culture, it was important for my children to understand that learning is a joy and never has to end. Yes. When we are reading a good book, we don't need to stop because the clock is telling us it's time for a math lesson. If we find a praying mantis in the garden, we don't need to take a photo and run because we have language arts to get to. Unquote. Oh my God, this is fantastic. It continues, wild and free. Besides learning from books, Emma, Clara, and Cruz spend time gardening, baking, doing crafts, and taking care of the animals on their homestead. The family has four goats, 16 chickens, four dogs, two cats, and a beautiful garden. They're considering cows for the future. As year-round learners, the kids' lessons reflect the seasons and they work hard or take breaks as needed. Mandy believes that because of homeschooling, her children are wild and free and have confidence in who they are. Their daily challenges are, some, are, are the same as other families, including waking up grumpy and sibling rival, rivalry. However, the difference, according to Mandy, is that their homeschooling life always allows time to address these issues. It says, give yourself grace is the next section. For Mandy, her Christian faith plays a huge role in her homeschooling journey and parenting philosophy with the, under, with the unyielding rather support of her husband, Josh, who works full-time as the owner of Moore Roof Life Roofing Company in Central Oregon. Mandy said, I've been in enough schools to know that teachers' natural bias, religion, and politics come out. It's not an intentional thing. It's a human nature thing. I feel blessed to be that teacher for my children, 
and set a moral compass from the heart of our family. Since sharing her radical career shift, it says, in snippets of daily homeschool and homesteading life on Instagram, Mandy has received overwhelming support. She often gets messages from other former educators, new homeschool moms, and adults who were homeschooled in the past with similar stories. She has been able to build a rich, valuable community. However, apart from the support, Mandy's also received a fair share of negative comments. Some come from a place of not understanding or simply lack the education of what homeschooling is, and others from a place of frustration or just toxic negativity, she said. Meanwhile, the biggest misconception among people about homeschooling, according to Mandy, is that people think that there is a lack of socialization. This is so wrong, she said. How is sitting at your desk surrounded by 25 plus peers your exact same age while your teacher tells you to not talk socialization? We are out every day having real world experiences with all walks of life, she said. Most importantly, Mandy's family talks about everything and strongly believes there is nothing that they can't solve together. My God. Can I move in? Can I move in? This is, this is great. I always want to be there for my children for the little things so they know later in life that they can come to me for the big things, she said. Mandy compares herself to a greenhouse. I don't believe we need to place kids in a bubble, but I love the comparison to a greenhouse, she said. I'm not cutting my children off from the world, but know the importance of cutting certain parts of the world off from my children. Allowing the light to flood in while keeping the storms and locusts out, what a blessing it is to give our children this head start in life. She believes that in the future, when she releases her children into the world, they will be able to withstand any storm. They will. They most certainly will. And what I brought up at the beginning of the last episode, I think, plays right into that. That Tracy Cross book that I've referenced numerous times is, of, of, is just of immense importance. I think everybody should read that. You really should. Uh, again, the, the students that get the straight A's and are patted on the back constantly and said you're a good leader, the, these, are, these are the students who later become insane. I mean, these are the ones who end up you know, blowing their top over absolutely nothing. This is, uh, this is nuts. Whereas in this environment, clearly, as she is describing, as Mandy is describing here, her children are going to fail constantly, learn from the failures, succeed, and, and recognize the difference between the two, and then become more level-headed with time if they aren't already. Yes, they're still children. Yes, they're still growing up. But uh, it's just going to be remarkable for their for their kids. There's no doubt about it. I'm going to wrap this up here and finish this article. She says the following. She says, for Mandy, her mission is simple. Quote, the best way to be an educational activist is to talk about it, she said. I think that because of my background in education, I have a unique voice in the space. And I feel the duty to use that voice to help as many as I can. To advocate for homeschooling, Mandy appeared as a guest on two podcasts, Education Evolution Podcast and Homeschool Sister Podcast. She is also speaking at the sold-out Wild and Free Conference in Tennessee in the fall of 2023. Mandy strongly believes that school choice is an important freedom and needs to become a regular and integral part of parenting. Quote, Here's the thing. No matter what school choice you make for your family, 
Your children's education will always be your responsibility, Mandy said. Homeschool has been exactly what our family needed, and it won't be for everyone, but I do encourage you to find that school choice that sings in your heart, unquote. For those families looking at transitioning to homeschooling lifestyle, the mom of three advised, quote, give yourself a lot of grace. There will never be a point in time when you know everything or you feel completely confident in your skills. Similar to a first-year teacher coming into the classroom with no prior teaching experience, it is something you learn as you go, and you have a community surrounding you ready to support you, unquote. That's one of the best articles I think that I've certainly read on the show here in quite some time regarding the business of homeschooling. That was remarkable. That's incredible. And she said everything the way that it actually is. It can't, I don't think it can get more authentic than that. Well done. Well done. And she has three children and again was a former school principal. I'm sure learned the error of her ways. Saw what was saw what was taking place, had had enough, left and said, "This is this is my this is my priority, this is my mission, and it's my children." That's a parent, ladies and gentlemen. Again, no offense to the ones that send them to American public, private, or charter schools. I'm, I'm not not insulting them. I'm just saying that if this individual can do it, countless others can too. And as you've heard me say a thousand times. If you can read and write, you can teach yourself. And the more and more that her children learn to read and write, and they master reading and writing and comprehension, then they're on their way and they're on their own. And they'll be on their way and on their own while they're still minors. It doesn't mean that the parent stops teaching. It doesn't mean that the parent stops learning or stops paying attention to what the children are doing. It's, it's quite the opposite. but. You're letting go of the wheel a little bit more, and you're letting the child drive. And she said something in the middle of that, that Zero Hedge article that I think is, is critical, and it's that we're teaching them that learning does not stop and start at particular times. Learning is constant. You've heard me say the quote from Seneca numerous times. I believe it was him who said it, that uh, leisure without study is death. That's 100% true. That's exactly where these children are going. They're going in that direction to where their free time is going to be taken up with learning and study and investigation and thinking. This is not happening in the American K-12 public school system. This is not happening. And I'm going to prove it right now. Let me play some audio from this local school board meeting. I'm just going to jump right into it. I've played next to zero audio from this woman, but she is a Miami University professor in their education uh, department, educational leadership department, if memory serves, if not Ed Psych, but I think Ed Leadership. She's been called a Maoist. That's not a compliment. That should, <laughs> that should, tell, you, that should tell you how far left she is. And every single time, regardless of, of, the, of the town, city, or state, when you when you listen to a school board meeting, there's always an individual on the school board who, again, is responsible for bringing legislative news to, to the table and any updates and, and things that take place from a legislative standpoint at the state or federal level. Well, this is her responsibility. So 
She's the one that goes to Columbus, Ohio and listens to these committees and XYZ. And she's the one who comes back and reports on a lot of this stuff. And you can hear, again, it's not just her. It's almost all of these individuals on these school boards. You can hear the distaste and the disdain in their voice when they're talking about any legislative move that takes money and influence away from the public school system and gives it to the parents. They hate that. They hate it. Which means who do they hate? They hate you. If you're a parent, it's you they hate. And they're telling you that. They're telling you that through their tone of voice and their actions on these school board meetings and bringing up any bill, any House bill, that has to do with taking money away from the public school system and giving it back to the parent regarding school choice, that they as government believe, and as a school board member believe, that the public school system is the best place for your kid, not the home, and certainly not a private school, and certainly not a charter school, and don't even get me started on homeschooling. If you even say homeschooling in a public school meeting, you will see beams of light come out of all of their eyeballs as they shoot laser beams at you. I mean, they are, they are, that, they are that crazy when it comes to this subject. So here's this, here's, here's this audio again. She's double or triple jabbed at the very least. She's been a chronic cougher in some of these meetings locally here. Uh, she's not the other chronic cougher that I've referenced up toward the Columbus area, but, but she's one of them. You don't necessarily hear her cough or anything, but again, these, these people are jabbed, and, and they're not thinking clearly. So here's that audio and her describing the, the, the movement of House Bill 33 in the state of Ohio throughout the legislative process. And again, what they fail to understand is, is that this bill, while it has some good things in it regarding school choice, it has a lot of terrible things in it for just about everybody else. So give this a listen very quickly here. House Bill 33 um, has been... Uh, finished out in the Senate. It was passed out of the Senate today. Um, it was approved today, and now it goes back to the House. Um, by all analysis, this bill is less generous now to public school districts and more generous to private schools um, compared to the, the version that came out of the House. Um, so now the bill goes back to the House to uh, reconcile. Um, but the state, the Senate's budget bill that just finished, that they just approved, decreases funding for traditional public schools who serve more than 80% of Ohio students by $542 million over the next two years, while increasing private school voucher funding that goes to less than 10% of the students in the state by $372 million. Um, and one of the... Um, really disappointing things that's in the Senate pass plan um, that we hope gets removed from the next or the final iteration of this bill is they have um, changed uh, the way they um, calculate the state and local costs. Um, and uh, they do this, uh, they've modified the uh, federal, uh, the way they calculate the federal adjusted gross in income. Um, 
And so this makes districts look immediately wealthier um, because it's not protecting the calculation from extreme outliers. Um, and so this serves to make the, the state share um, more volatile and, it all, and, and less predictable and reliable. Um, and it will also decrease our state share um, and thereby increase local burden, uh, local tax burden. Um, in terms of the percentage of our budget. Um, so we are uh, encouraging um, folks to remain vigilant with um, communicating with legislatures and legislators. Um, the House is scheduled to meet um, next Wednesday uh, at two o'clock when it's expected to vote no on the Senate's version of this bill. And then they will go into conference committee. That's their way of trying to settle out the House and the Senate's differences in these bills, which are pretty significant. Um, and so they will convene their, their conference committee. Um, we don't know how long that will take, um, but I will communicate with people um, uh, over the Facebook uh, over the Facebook pages and also. Um, uh, and if you're interested in staying informed, please email me. But um, the all the uh, public education advocates and the Ohio School Board Association, which I communicate a lot with, are uh, encouraging us to stay engaged throughout the conference committee process um, and send and speak with legislators. Um, contacting them by phone or by email. Um, we, uh, as I've said. Before, we've had a lot of um, great advocacy from our district, uh, advocating and sending testimony in and, and doing testimony in person, um, and that has been outstanding, and we have to keep it up. Um, but folks have been really great in being involved and remaining vigilant. Um, and so there's a few other things that are moving through the House uh, and uh, through that <coughs> Senate and back to the House, one is Ohio Bill, uh, House Bill 8, which is the Parents' Bill of Rights um, that I have posted testimony against. Um, and uh, so we're following a number of other bills, including the uh, bill to change social studies education and curriculum um, in, the, in the state as well. So still following a number of things, but um, that's the report. My apologies on a couple of things. I got those House bills kind of screwed up. House Bill 33 is the budget. Where does the money go? And yes, schools are involved in that and how much public schools are going to receive from the state. House Bill 8 is the parental rights bill, which has to do with, again, the voucher stuff and changing the curriculum and having more curricular rights as far as parents are concerned within the public school system and things of that nature. One, of course, is connected to the other directly. And it's House Bill 8 that, uh, that both sides don't seem to understand is, is really not great for everybody. It forces particular curriculum to exist that is remarkably inaccurate, but at the exact same time, it gives parents the ability to leave the public school system and take money with them, take that tax money with them to apply it to their children's private school, which is fine, I suppose. So. It's uh, it's a bit complicated, but again, both sides of the of the proverbial political aisle seem to either like it or not like it. When in fact, it really just diminishes a lot of different things. Um, 
and the staunch leftists, as I've said in previous episodes regarding that bill, they hate it because they think that it discriminates against gays and it discriminates against everybody else because money isn't going to go to those kinds of programs. Well, too bad. They shouldn't exist in the first place. The diversity, equity, and inclusion bullshit and all of that. None of that should be there in the first place anyway. But again, think of Mandy. Let's, let's all think of Mandy. Let's think of Mandy and her family and how none of this matters to them. They don't have to play these political games. They aren't interested in it. And they're not collateral damage, rather. You know, they aren't, they aren't impacted by the shrapnel, so to speak. With that said, there were a couple of other presentations that were given, not so much by the public during the public comment section, but a couple of employees providing, uh, providing information. One of them was the athletic director. And I found it interesting that during their presentation, it was beyond evident that there was a decreased interest in participation regarding sports because there's a $900 price tag for if you want to participate in sports now, 900 bucks. That if you want to play on a team, you can just fork over $900. Ladies and gentlemen, there's not a game taking place in an American K-12 school system that needs $900, nor is worth $900. There just isn't. On top of that, with that decreased participation in sports, which seemed visual from a visual standpoint, as far as I could tell, um, not to mention it's evident that they have sports that clearly suck and the students are terrible at it. The athletes are terrible at it. I mean, they have a lacrosse team and they never used to have one and they finished the season something like two and 20. I mean, if you have a two and 20 lacrosse team, you should get rid of your lacrosse team. It's, you know, there's greener pastures on the other side, fellas, you know, pick up a book instead of running around with a stick in your hand. You know, that's my two cents, but whatever. Uh, on top of that, they also have and had rather a presentation from a couple of individuals associated with the school crisis plan. Now, this was a bit odd, too, because the entire gist of their presentation had to do with making sure that in the moment of a crisis, again, like a student suicide, which they specifically reference, not the most recent one, but one that apparently occurred nine years ago, they're doing whatever they can to normalize the, the counseling skills of almost every school employee that exists so that as a school environment, they don't feel like they are shorthanded when it comes to how to handle a situation like this. And they brought up this student suicide from nine years ago, and they basically said, we were not prepared to deal with this at all. We didn't have enough counselors. We didn't have enough school psychologists. And now with all the budget cuts and people losing their jobs and us cutting school psychologists and school counselors, if something like this happens and happens again, oh my God, what are we going to do? This right here is, again, another, another power play move that government makes when it comes to the mental and emotional well-being of your children. This is what happens when there's an absence of parents within the lives of children. Government will always seek to fill that void. And what we are watching across the landscape of American K-12 education is the entire environment turn itself into a mental institution. 
They want everybody in the environment to be a counselor. They want everybody in the environment to be a school psychologist. They want everybody in the environment to know how to manage students when someone either kills themselves, someone is raped, someone is murdered. Uh, they have no problem allowing violence to take place within, within these environments. They have no problem allowing death threats to occur within these environments. There's no crisis response for that. There's a cover-up response to real violence that takes place. Not to mention, of course, all of the perpetuation of all of the lies that exist with regarding all the fake shootings and you know, all the all the shooting hoaxes and everything else that takes place. They have no problem bringing all of that panic into the environment and then wondering why there's chaos. The whole pandemic thing, again, perfect example. That will always be a keystone and cornerstone example of what happens when the school environment invites the problem in and then plays victim and screams victim after the fact. They invited in the masks. They invited in the distancing. They invited in the coercion. They invited in the demoralization. And now they're saying, well, we're shorthanded because a lot of people are losing their minds. Well, whose fault is that? The school system is always to blame. They will always be to blame. But let's not forget Mandy and her lovely family in Oregon, because I bet they didn't have anything to do with any of this. I bet they didn't. In fact, if Mandy left the profession in 2022, like she said, she was probably a participant in it. And it was Oregon, for God's sakes. So you know she was wearing a mask. I hope she's not jabbed for her sake and for her kids' sake. But again, these are the kinds of things that, uh, that we can't look past. This is, this is where the American K-12 school system is continuing to head in. This is their direction. This is, this is what they know. So let me move to jab-related things now. And I've got just a couple of things here, a couple of posts that I want to read, a couple of stories, and uh, a quick little article from the expose. And then Amazing Polly has another video out of her again, just talking on her back porch. And she's talking again specifically about the medical industry. And how she's very reluctant to get a medical procedure, and rightfully so, because again, she doesn't trust the medical industry, nor should any of us. And um, and she's just worried about what, what what would possibly happen, and what they would tell her, and what they would do to her, and a lot of other things. And I know that a number of people, myself included, have been in positions like that where we clearly just don't trust these people. Certainly, over the last, well, me personally, well over the last decade, but certainly uh, within the last few years here. Let me read this one first. This, is, uh, this, uh, this one is, is typical and terrible, but uh, something that's occurring certainly with younger individuals. This was on Reddit, of all places, and it's continuing to happen on Reddit, which I find interesting because Reddit is filled with those on the left. And those on the left are starting to realize what they've done to themselves. So, It's titled the following here, uh, Poor Health Post-COVID Vax. And it says the following, quote, I'm 27 years old. Prior to the vax, I was extremely healthy. Nine months post-vax, I developed extreme stomach pain, and it was a stomach ulcer. I was diagnosed with an enlarged spleen and a blood disorder called ITP after that finding. I then developed an extreme pain in my right side 
and I still have it now, one and a half years post Pfizer Vax. I've developed welt-like hives over my entire body, despite the allergist testing stating I have zero allergies. It lasted two weeks and required steroids for 14 days alongside multiple daily doses of antihistamine combined with Pepsid to control. Pepsid, there you go. Heartburn, heartburn medication. Uh, It says, December of 2022, I had yet another trip to the ER for uncontrollable chest pain and had a borderline abnormal EKG and possible enlarged left ventricle, as well as a marked heart arrhythmia. I still have extreme right-sided pain, despite having clear HIDA scans and abdominal CT finding, nothing other than an enlarged spleen. And then they wrote this in bold letters. I am only 27 years old to go from completely healthy to a freaking wreck. It says, I'm also a personal trainer and extremely athletic with great nutrition. I'm baffled and I'm irritated. Am I alone or has this happened to anyone else too? Any of it? Question mark, unquote. Yikes. The fact that they're even asking that they're alone. Are they alone in this? That right there should give away their frame of mind and how deep in the matrix they are. It's sad. Uh, Here's another one. This came from COVID vaccine injuries on Telegram, and I follow their channel with regularity. It says the following, quote, and again, this is one of those noticing things right here. It says, our daughter runs an RV storage business, which accommodates about 600 RV spots. Every year, we lose one to two clients due to spouse passing away. So far in 2023, from January to May, there have been 20 clients vacate due to spouse passing away. It continues here in a comment section. It says, we are full-timers at an RV resort in Florida after having to sell our house due to the mandates. We have seen so many rescue vehicles come around and they are insane there are insanely less people than there have been in years in addition since we are near mayo we have a, we have a ton of people staying who have come to the area for major procedures one guy recently was t- uh was talking to me about his wife being in liver failure from cirrhosis never drank and this exploded out of nowhere He said Mayo told them all they have to offer her were hep C or HIV livers if she wanted to get this done in time. Made me wonder if they are saving the quality organs, the unvaccinated, for the elites who need them. That's interesting. That's an interesting take. I haven't heard that one yet. Makes sense though, doesn't it? That they're keeping all the unjabbed organs in a separate place. And they're feeding jabbed organs or already sick uh, extracted organs from the departed to offer to those who still need an organ. Wow. It continued. It said, one of my clients who, whose RV lost his wife due to her lung cancer and was in remission coming back with a vengeance and killing her quickly after three weeks, something like that. Uh, her daughter is also my client now and we both know what caused it. We have both mentioned it before she passed, and she still continued to get these shots. Her doctor made her think because she was compromised 
and needed everyone ASAP as they came out. It says he is still RVing for now, but not as much as he would uh, would be if he and his wife, if he had his wife with him, rather. I see him every four weeks for haircut, and he cries every time. They've been together for over 50 years. She was afraid to die, and this is what happened to her. We have a travel trailer, it says. It says we're looking for seasonal spots at different campgrounds. One campground had 16 spots become available. The lady showing us the different spots seemed to think that there was more than ever before in one year, too, unquote. Again, this right here is the noticing thing. This is one of those things, again, where the eyes don't lie. If you're seeing this take place, wherever you are, wherever you live, re- regardless of your line of work, it is not, a, it is not an accident. This is, this is a direct correlation between what the jabs are doing, those who took the jabs, and, of course, the surrounding economic area. And those who take in money from these individuals and can see these patterns taking place with a sheer lack of participation. This is, this is very, very real. Uh, let's see. There's this, too. This is from the expose. And it is titled, Confidential Pfizer Documents. Confirmed Daigle's shocking 2025 depopulation forecast is on target and not just an estimation. Now, I've brought up the Daigle report before, the Daigle report, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, before. And again, it's a statistical analysis or a prediction based on uh, current trends and how that is leading to, of course, depopulation. We know that depopulation agenda is very real. In fact, Apparently, if you download or you own or you buy, rather, a new uh, Samsung phone, the Agenda 2030 app, and apparently there is one, comes pre-embedded in your Samsung phone. So wrap your head around that one. Uh, But here's what the article says. It says, a controversial forecast by Daigle. A global intelligence and consulting firm gained attention in 2020 for its startling prediction of a significant depopulation event across the Western world by 2025. This was a very bold claim to make. Quote, your government is trying to kill you is even bolder. But unfortunately, these bold claims are now backed up with a mountain of evidence, and most of that evidence can be found in the confidential Pfizer documents that the U.S. Food and Drug Administration has been forced to publish by court order. And sadly, the evidence strongly suggests that COVID-19 vaccination is causing mass depopulation. Describes what the Daigle Report is, what they predicted. Again, I've been over that before. That, uh, that it predicted in 2020 that the United Kingdom would see its population decline by 77.1%. By the year 2025. It also said that the United States would see its population decline by 68.5% by the year 2025. It said that Germany would see its population decline by 65.1% by 2025, Australia by 34.6% by 2025, and it has a list of numerous countries as well. It says the Food and Drug Administration attempted to delay the release of the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine safety data for 75 years despite approving the injection after only 108 days of safety review on December 11th of 2020. 
but in early January of 2022, federal judge Mark Pittman ordered them to release the 55,000 pages per month. They released 12,000 pages by the end of January. Since then, PHMPT has posted all of the documents on its website. I've linked that before. It says the latest drop happened on the 1st of June of 2022. One of the documents contained in that data dump is reissue 5.3.6 postmarketingexperience.pdf. Page 12 of the confidential document contains data on the use of the Pfizer COVID-19 injection in pregnancy and lactation. Uh, It says the following. It reveals that 90% of COVID-vaccinated pregnant women lost their baby. It says uh, Pfizer states in the document that by the 28th of February of 2021, there were 270 known cases of exposure to the mRNA injection during pregnancy. 46% of the mothers, 124, exposed to the Pfizer COVID-19 injection suffered an adverse reaction. Of those 124 mothers suffering the adverse reaction, 49 were considered non-serious adverse reactions, whereas 75 were considered serious. This means that 58% of the mothers who reported suffering adverse reactions suffered a serious adverse event, ranging from uterine contraction to fetal death. And it goes on and on here. It breaks down again that entire document at length, goes through all the numbers and statistics. And as you've heard me say, and numerous people have said before, depopulation is a multi-tentacle beast. It is not, take this and you will die. It's not just that. It is, we will squeeze you from multiple angles, from a financial system, from a food system, and certainly when it comes to reproduction. That over the course of time, we will decrease reproduction and your ability to reproduce. And it will cause, of course, the individuals trying to reproduce who are jabbed, they are going to be baffled as to why they cannot reproduce. On top of that, going to a separate dimension and uh, certainly another layer of that spectrum is that if individuals are jabbed and they do reproduce, how long will their child live? having been the subject of biological parents who are jabbed, either one or both? Will they even make it to the age to where they can reproduce? And if so, are they going to have the ability to reproduce? You're talking about multi-generational depopulation. This is a thing. This is happening. There There is no avoiding that. So with that said, ladies and gentlemen, Um, I recommend bouncing over again from a medical standpoint and certainly checking out Amazing Polly's new new discussion. Uh, She raises a lot of great points, certainly about skepticism in the medical industry, even when you need a procedure done. And there's endless valid valid points regarding that. Um, I also want to make one more observation here before I wrap up very quickly. Mickey Willis, who you've heard me reference before, who is the director of the Plandemic 3, The Great Awakening documentary that came out, which again focused a lot on mind control and communism. Uh, he He was on, quite frankly, the other night, and I watched the interview, and this is the this is the thing that exists within the Great Awakening documentary also, is that 
Mickey Willis says the word they a lot. He blames them. He says they, them, they're doing this, they, they're controlling the media, they're controlling entertainment, they're controlling the child trafficking, they're controlling the money, the banks, they, them, they're, they. He says it over and over and over again. There's an, we of course know who the they are. They are the satanic Jews. This is a fact. Certainly from a historic standpoint also, this is the synagogue of Satan. These are not the innocent Jews who have no idea what's going on and are innocent parties or happen to be of a bloodline of a Jewish bloodline who are Christians and love God. I'm not talking about those individuals. Those people are just fine. These have to do with the controllers, the the satanic individuals who, again, are interested in this depopulation agenda. If people like Mickey Willis with the microphones that they have don't say these things, then they are coming up short as far as I'm concerned. The irony, too, is that in his discussion with Frank, he was specifically saying that there's an importance in being canceled and that you have to be canceled because it's liberating. And if people are trying to stifle your free speech in any way or stifle you arriving at the logical answer to a problem or who the enemy really is, then uh, then they are in fact your enemy. Anybody who is stopping you from saying that or again trying to hinder your progress and growth as a result of stifling your free speech, then that is your enemy. I find that to be ironic because again, he, either he doesn't know the connections between those parties and and the impact that they have had on numerous individuals in numerous countries from historic perspectives over the course of hundreds of years, if not long before that, certainly thousands of years. Um, but him not saying it and calling out the real enemy is, is problematic, I think. In his documentary, too, from a historic perspective, this, this void needs to, be, needs to be referenced. And I need to say this because, again, I've said it on this show countless times. And that is that when he consistently references Mao Zedong in his documentary, Mao Zedong didn't have these strategies to bear uh, before Jewish influence. It was, it was the Khazarian Mafia that made their way over to China during Stalin's reign of the Soviet Union, where Mao learned all of the strategies that he applied to the Chinese people because Stalin and the Khazarian Mafia and the Bolsheviks were applying those same methods in the Soviet Union. So Mao learned everything that he learned from the Khazarian Mafia and those satanic Jews and Stalin. That is, that is a well-researched historic fact. The word usage was brought over to China. The methods and tactics were brought over to China. The execution, the enslavement were brought over to China. And Mickey Willis specifically references this too, and he's right. But he's not calling out who the real influencers were and who taught Mao Zedong this, is that the weaponization of children toward the parent at the hands of government is and has always been a Bolshevik tactic. That's Bolshevism. 
by definition. That's exactly what it is. So Mao Zedong didn't have that arrow in his quiver, so to speak, when it came to his own people, but he was taught it by the Kazarian Mafia and the Bolsheviks during Stalin's time. And then they brought it to China, and then you still have it to this day. There you go. That's it. So when Mickey Willis says the word they, and even Frank again alluded to it sort of at the end of the talk, at the end of their talk, he said, yep, they, them, and theirs. He said it's, it's a lot of that, and he knows what he's saying too. And he was sort of giving a lesson to Frank too, as if to say, hey, look, if you're still on YouTube and you're still doing this on YouTube, you're not free from their enslavement yet. You know, I, I, I've, I've been able to say what I want to say on this show without, uh, without interference for the most part. You know that this show was kicked off back in 2021, if you were listening back then, on that fake inauguration day. That's when this podcast was blown up after only being on for three months, three, four months. But, you know, you just pick up and, and you keep moving. You find another platform and you, and you keep going. I've never had a problem with BitChute. I've never had a problem. With Rumble, they've never given me any trouble, no problems. In fact, just so that you know where I stand on this issue, and I think you know me pretty well, Podbean is is the uh, is is the platform that pushes out this audio version of of this show, which there is only an audio version, but they're the ones that push this out across the the podcasting platform, so to speak, and they have a new political ad campaign. That if I sign up for it, there will be political ads from all political spectrums, as they say, and that's their disclaimer, that will air during this show at either the beginning, middle, and end of this show, and I will make a small amount of money, and it's a, a number of cents on the dollar, but uh, that if I included that within this show, then that would be part of the ad streaming that sort of takes place the monetary ad streaming. Ladies and gentlemen, I am not going to participate in that. I don't care if it's for one penny. I don't care if it's for a thousand dollars. It does not. I, it's not, it's not my style. That's not going to happen. There aren't going to be abortion ads along with an ad for Mike Pence on this show. You're never going to hear that. And I'm never going to check those boxes in order for those ads to play uh, while you're hearing me talk or, or you hear me, you know, interrupted by a message from Nikki Haley and how Nikki Haley's running for president. And don't you forget because almost everybody has already forgotten. So that's, that's not going to happen. I'm not going to, I'm not going to subscribe to any of that. So just wanted to bring that to your attention too, that that is something that is taking place on the old podcast landscape. So with that said, ladies and gentlemen, again, Wednesday, tune in to John Durham's thing if you're interested and give that a watch. Amazing Polly's video I recommend as well. And with that said, I'll catch you on Friday. Peace. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.